You are now listening to the Two Room Scleroderma Awareness Podcast. I am your host, Natasha M. Enjoy the show. Good evening, TCR family. Welcome back to the Two Room Podcast. I'm your host, Natasha, and I just want to say thank you guys so much for sharing and letting people know about the podcast. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I want you guys to take a moment and just send up a little prayer for Kathy Griffin. Um, she's not doing too well, and she wasn't able to do the podcast today. So please send up a prayer, and once she gets better, she'll be able to come on, and we'll be able to hear her story. Um, today, we still have the president from the Scleroderma Foundation, Miss Katie Higgins, and we are going to have a great time today. So I hope you guys have your snacks. I hope you guys are ready. So let's go. So first we're going to talk about the till room. My goal for this podcast is to get people out of their beds. Like I've been there. I know how it feels to feel depressed, feel like everything that's going on with you is all bad but I want to just let everybody know that there is light at the end of the tunnel so even though you're going through something right now it's going to get better in time and that's what I want for this podcast I want us to be able to come on tell our story have fun get together have events and just uplift each other because being diagnosed with any type of condition can be depressing especially if you don't have a strong support system. And even if you do, you know, sometimes we just still get depressed because we just don't have the answers and we're worried about our future and what's to come after. So I really, really, really hope that if you know someone that is suffering from depression or someone who just needs to hear a positive message, send them our way. Let them know that we're on every Wednesday, every other Wednesday. Also, when you're done listening to the full podcast, if you can look at the top and there's a button that says message, this will give you a chance to leave me a message about what you thought about the podcast, what are some things you want to hear, what some things I can change. Um, please go push the button. Give me some feedback. I surely would appreciate it. Hey, TTR family. Welcome back. I'm here with Katie Higgins from the Sleradoma Foundation, Delaware Valley Chapter. Hey, Katie. Yes. So, Katie, um, tell us a little bit about your story. In 2013, I went to a normal routine GYN exam. And they, I was menopausal at the time, and they asked me how I was doing, and I said, horrible. <laughs> and then I went on to talk about all these symptoms. And then I complained that they wouldn't give me any uh, hormone treatment because of my family history. And my family history includes a lot of blood clots, mm-hmm. multiple 
deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, all the way back, mostly in the women, uh, great grandmother, grandmother, mother, etc. Um, and this caused my GYN to ask me a few more things about my history. Um, my mother had 11 pregnancies, mm -hmm. five live births. So apparently there's uh, and something called antithyroglobulin antibody, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which, uh, and, which is a, a tendency to clot. It mm -hmm. can cause a tendency to clot. And apparently GYN doctors know about it a lot because those people tend to have trouble um, bringing babies to term. Or, um, and they have trouble with lots of miscarriages. Uh, not knowing that much about it, but I did know because anybody that's at risk for clots, they tend to not want to give you hormones. Mm -hmm. um, so they said, well, we should do a few blood tests. So they did blood tests and they did an anti-nuclear antibody which is a common antibody that shows up positive in people with any kind of autoimmune disease, although sometimes it can be positive in people transiently. It can come and go, or it could, uh, it could be there before you actually have any kind of autoimmune disease. So they did uh, the antithyroglobulin antibody, NNANA, and both of them came back positive. So I said, okay, what do we do now? And they said, well, we have to recheck it because one, one lab test doesn't mean that much. We have to check it in 12 weeks. So they checked it in 12 weeks and it was still positive. Meanwhile, my provider left the practice. So no one ordered the tests for me. So I called my primary, who's a friend of mine, and said, uh, would you order the lab test for me? And he ordered them and they came back positive again. So I said, okay, what do I do? He said, well, you feel okay? I said, yeah. He said, well, you could either go see a rheumatologist or you can wait a while. So, because uh, I'm a nurse, um, I tend to go, let's go see somebody. <laughs> so yeah. I went to see someone and um, it, was, it was kind of an unusual appointment because I wasn't the standard person who'd been having trouble figuring out things for years and years. But I had been complaining probably for five or six years about being cold when everybody else is warm. Right. Um, and my fingers, I had had Renaud's before. Um, and I, you know, I did definitely got cold easily. Um, and I went and as the rheumatologist is asking me questions, every now and then it would be, oh yeah, you know, that's right. I, I did have that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, th I thought I was, I thought I was tired because I also have a history of depression. I mm -hmm. thought it was just my depression acting up. Yeah, I have been a lot tired and I have been this and that. And um, then he says, well, I don't really think you have anything, but let me do one more thing. And he um, checked my nail folds 
capillaries. Those are the tiny little blood vessels that go all the way to your nails on your fingers. And because they're so far away, they're pretty far away from your heart and everything else. They're very, very small. Uh, and in people with scleroderma, they can become sort of misshapen. Mm-hmm. And after a while, if you have severe scleroderma, sometimes they just go away. You lose blood supply to your fingernails at all. Anyway, uh, to make a long story short, mine were um, abnormal. Mm-hmm. So he sent a few more things off, Sjogren's uh, antibodies, lupus, because a lot of people with lupus also have the problem with um, clotting. And he did some... Um, he sent to see what kind of ANA I had. Anyway, I'm anti-centromere. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with limited systemic scleroderma. I really honestly don't have much in terms of skin changes at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe at the most I have a one. I have a very smi- small, tiny amount of skin thickening um, on one finger. Uh, but I do have acid reflux. I do have GI issues. I'm exhausted. I have honestly more Sjogren's symptoms, dry mouth, dry eyes, dry everything. Um, so I don't, my, um, antibody is anti-centromere that can also be a Sjogren's, uh, antibody. It's, mm-hmm. it's rare, but it, it some people. So my doctor isn't completely sure whether I have scleroderma or if I have Sjogren's with scleroderma overlap or vice versa. But I got involved with the Scleroderma Foundation um, because I was first told that I um, had scleroderma. And I knew a little too much about it to be comfortable Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because of nursing school. But anyway, it's been eight years. So far, so good. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that I'm not, I mean, I do, my long values have decreased a little bit, but nothing that my doctor's worried about. And uh, I'm just kind of stable, I think. Uh, I'm lucky that I have the slow moving form of scleroderma. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, among the people I've met, I've had one friend die. Uh, she was waiting for a lung transplant, and she caught pneumonia. Oh, so sorry to hear that. Thank you. She was the one of the former presidents of our chapter. Her name was Nirja. Okay. Um, lovely woman. Oh, so sick and always worried about everyone else. She was the type of person who was who was just very ill. But anytime she called you, she would ask you how you were doing. Yeah. And try to cheer you up. So it's just a lovely person. And I had another friend who um, ended up with severe pulmonary hypertension and had to ha- have a lung transplant. Another gentleman that I met at uh, Advocacy Day down in Washington, D.C. 
he had to have a lung transplant. Anyway, um, there's a lot of people worse off than me. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I decided to try to join the board of directors and perhaps lead is because right now I have the energy. Yeah. I'm rel- knock on wood, relatively well. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, I don't know how people work full time with scleroderma. It's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, I found it exhausting. Um, and so I retired early. Um, the stress of the COVID and everything going on in healthcare, I just, I couldn't take it. I felt like it was making me sick. Yeah. So, so I retired early and uh, now I'm retired and I'm the president of the board of directors. Uh, recently, uh, we are going to become part of the um, non, if uh, there's not going to be any affiliate chapters any longer, we're going to become one of the regular national chapters. And therefore, we won't have any um, fiduciary responsibilities. We don't have to handle the money or do anything like that. So we're no longer going to be called a board of directors. It's going to be called the chapter advisory committee. And, okay. Uh, because I was the president of the board, I'm going to just transition into being the chair of the chapter advisory committee. Okay, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are some new logos on the Scleroderma Foundation website. I actually just looked it up, um, and I think because I put it in Delaware Valley, um, they were like page not found. So I, I definitely will check it out today because I was when I was waiting, I was like, let me look on here to see. Because um, I, I went on there first to, you know, um, like maybe a few days ago, just to look around and see if you guys had any more events because that's how I found you guys. Um, I was sitting at home and I just kept telling myself, I said, I got to get out. I got to do something. So I looked up the Scleroderma Foundation and I found uh, Kathy and I just emailed her and then she emailed me back and then that's where she invited me to the car show and that was the first time I ever reached out to anybody about Scleroderma and I was just so happy like that was the first time I've been out in months and um I was just so happy you guys made me feel warm and well my family loved it so I was really happy to um you know find you guys well we're happy to have you and your family is very cool and yeah. uh, we had we had a good time that day. And Kathy is a wonderful uh, example of a member of our chapter and a, yes. as a member of the board of directors. She's the patient ambassador, I believe, is what they call her now. So she she talks to a lot of people. She's very friendly and uh, has had scleroderma for years and years. Yeah. So um, she's probably been through it all. Yeah, that's one thing I will say. She definitely calls and check up on me. You know, I was having a rough patch a couple of um like weeks ago and she just kept calling, kept calling and I was like, I really appreciate it because a lot of times, you know, some people don't have support. So her calling and checking up on me, making sure I have my medicine was really, really great and I really appreciate that. It's very isolating. Yeah. Because you find yourself um Wanting to say, yes, I'll come to your party or yes, I'll come to your 
whatever's going on, but then you may not feel very well that day. You may feel horrible and, yeah. and you get tired of saying, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to have to come. So sometimes people just start turning down invitations. Um, yeah. That's kind of how it was for me. That's why I was like, I got to find people who understand where I'm coming from and what, what I deal with on a daily basis, because I lost a lot of friends. Um, I wouldn't say lost, but a lot of people just, they, life goes on, you know, and sometimes when you're constantly trying to explain, but then they see you in a different light, it's like, well, were you really that sick? Or you could have just came and showed up. And I just, I, I kind of got a little tired of that. So I was like, let me just, let me just work with this. It's hard to explain why you're too tired to sit at a dinner table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. all, you, all they want you to do is just come to dinner and just sit at the table. And I'm like, well, today I really, you know, I could maybe sit there for like 15 minutes, but then I really want to lay down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I just want to put my feet up and my feet sometimes just ache if I'm having a bad day just everything aches and I'm I'm not even comfortable sitting at dinner for you know 40 minutes or so I just it's it's hard to explain to somebody how tired you can be where you just really you don't even have the energy to be nice right <laughs> and, I and I don't think people understand the process for us to get ready you know a lot of people don't and when people see you they see the end result of what what you went through the whole day they don't see that it's hard for you to get dressed it's hard for you to fix your hair it's hard for you to get out of the bed to get started so i think that's one of the biggest things for me because people don't understand the process of getting there you know it's a lot yeah i know you're i know you're a lot sicker than i am i remember meeting you so it how long does it take you like when you get up in the morning, if you want to go somewhere that day, how long does it take you to like, cause I know people will say, well, just go take a nice shower to, to help your muscles that ache. And I'm like, you don't understand a shower is exhausting to me. I could take a shower, but then I have to rest for, right. for uh, you know, maybe I just get my clothes on and then it's time to go like lay down for 15 minutes, but I'm, you know, I'm not very sick compared to you. And so how long does it take you when you well, have to get up and go? Well, that's somewhere? a good question because see with me, um, my husband pretty much took care of me from, from doing everything. Once I got sick, he took care of me doing everything. And now he's back at work, working two jobs and, you know, life changed for us. So, now, I have to prepare the day before. I have to get in the shower. I have to lotion down. I have to mentally be prepared the day before. Because if I get up in the morning to get in the shower, some days when I wake up in the morning, I don't know how I'm going to. Like, some days I wake up, I say, okay, listen, we're going to get up. We're going to go food shopping. I do, I do this with my kids. I say, we're going to go to BJ's, and we're going to go to Walmart. We're going to come home. I can get up there in the morning and be like, I can't move. And for me, I have a lot of my hands, my um, my hands are really um straight. So I can't bend my fingers. So I can't grip grip anything. So as far as like 
taking a shower, fixing my hair. These are things that have to be prepared already for me before I can even, you know, get my day started. So for me, dressing, that's not an option. I have to have some type of help. Um, there are some things that I can do on my own, but everything else I need help as far as like certain shoes, I have to have help putting on. So it takes a lot for me to get ready. I have to have some type of help. Now in the summertime, it's a little bit easier because I'm able to put on shorts. I'm able to use like the grabbers. I have some grabbers in my house that I'm able to use. Um, I can put on shirts and bras and stuff like that. But if it's not like a slot on shoe, I have difficulty. So so it takes you basically you have to get ready the day before and, yeah. then, and then you still might wake up and not be able to move yeah because um i would say i had a lot of stomach issues i think it was from acid reflex and then my doctor put me on a medicine called omeprazole mm -hmm. um so like no matter what i do my stomach just always was like hurting so i went through a phase where i was like, you know, throwing up a lot. Anything that I ate, I would throw up. So now I'm in a phase where I'm constantly in the bathroom. Like, I can be, and I don't have to be using the bathroom, but my stomach makes me feel like I have to go. So I can sit in the bathroom for hours. Like, and I don't know, I don't know if that's a yeah. thing with scleroderma, but my family, they call me like, are you still in the bathroom? You have to get up for a minute. And I'm like, I just, you know, so in the morning time, I go to the bathroom. I try to give myself enough time to take care of all the what ifs that's going to happen right. and then you know I go from there but it takes me a good while especially if you know if I'm having a bad day yes so when did your scleroderma start um I got diagnosed in 2014 um and I'm gonna have another um episode where I talk about you know everything that I went through and how I became diagnosed, but I, 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 I would say that mine was just high blood pressure, high blood pressure, and then I wasn't taking my medicine. I, I was young. I was worried about everything else, and once I, you know, went to the doctor, I just started having all of these other problems down the line, and then that's how I found out, but it took a long time for me to, I would say it took a long time for me to admit that I had scleroderma once I found out I had it. So I didn't really get any type of help until like 2016. Um, and I think that kind of caused more issues down the line for me. It is hard to accept, especially if you've never heard of it. Yeah, especially when you have a bunch of doctors who don't even know how to pronounce it, who never heard of it. It's like, <laughs> how am I coming here to you to get answers? And you have no clue. So, you know, I was just like, you know, you know what? And then one thing I will say is when you find out something like that, the first thing you do is you run to the internet. And that wasn't a good thing for me. So that kind of was another reason why I kind of just didn't address it. So. So you ended up on some sites that scared the death out of you. Yeah. Well, it is pretty scary, I think, for most people. And that's one of the things that's hard to um, deal with. You're wondering, well, you know, does this mean I have two years or do I have 15 years or do I have six years? You know, you just uh, you wonder. And especially if you have a one of the severe forms, um, the diffuse 
scleroderma, which comes on fast and hard. Um, so one thing the Scleroderma Foundation does offer is um, education and uh, a good place to find medically evaluated ad advice. So basically it is peer reviewed. So it's by doctors who actually see scleroderma patients mm -hmm. in their practice and have experience with them. They have a medical advisory board. Um, many of the uh, larger scleroderma, the scleroderma centers tend to be at university hospitals, not always, but they tend to be at places where they're doing research or um, they just have the, uh, the support of a large um, university. So in this area, in the Delaware Valley, um, the scleroderma centers that are listed is uh, Rutgers, uh, mm -hmm. Robert Wood Johnson. Um, there is the Scleroderma Center at Jefferson Hospital. And the uh, University of Pennsylvania Health System has a scleroderma center. Um, where else? I think that's about it in terms of centers that are actually acknowledged as scleroderma centers in, in the area. Although a lot of people um, travel to Hopkins because Hopkins has a very good a reputation for rheumatology and they are a scleroderma center. So um, these are the ones that are close to us. And mm -hmm. then there's, um, you know, if you live out near Pittsburgh, there's the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Um, they have a, a strong scleroderma center there, I believe. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's funny because you say people don't know how to uh, pronounce it. It's because it's rare. Yeah. Um, they say there's about 300,000 people in the United States, although as the population goes up, I think that number has gone up too. And it's mm -hmm. also being diagnosed a little uh, a little better. It's, it's being diagnosed uh, faster in many yeah. cases. Um, but there still is a real problem with uh, doctors not knowing that much about it if they've never seen it before because mm -hmm. it is kind of rare. And also the problem is you go to one specialist for one thing and another specialist for another thing and another specialist for another thing. And unless you have a primary care that's trying to put all of these things together and see the whole picture, or sometimes they just can't see the whole picture and they just give up and say, well, I'm going to send you to rheumatology. Right. And then if you're lucky, rheumatology can figure it out. Right. Um, because so, they do teach it in school. It's just they don't see it that often. So it's hard if you've never seen it. There's so many different, you see an eye doctor, you see a GI doctor, you see the skin doctor, you see, um, I mean, if you don't have the puffy fingers and the hard skin that's very visible, um, those are the two things that most people that are in rheumatology would probably know that somebody might have scleroderma if they have the really hard skin and uh, puffy fingers. 
Right, that was one of my questions. So I want to ask you one question. What mm-hmm. are some signs and early symptoms that people can look out for? Like, because I know before before I was diagnosed with serotonin, they were saying something. Well, my my primary doctor was saying something about Cushing's disease, and I was like, that kind of like when I looked it up, it was kind of the same, but not really. It's kind of an autoimmune disease. A lot of people get puffy fingers and um, and edema, which is swelling. Mm -hmm. So um, the swelling is from the inflammatory processes. So an autoimmune disease is basically where your body does not, the immune part of your body, which are basically mostly the white blood cells in your body, um, handle viruses or bacteria that get in your body that don't belong there and they tend to attack them surround them and sometimes there's even these things called macrophages that kind of chomp them up and eat them and just get rid of them so the problem with um, autoimmune disease is that your body is actually attacking its own self mm-hmm. you're not recognizing your own b cells and you're attacking your own cells and that causes a, an inflammatory process. And that leads to overproduction of collagen and collagen is a fibrous tissue that kind of helps connect things within your body. That's why they call it a connective tissue disease. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the scarring, some people have more fibrotic disease. Some people have... Um, where you get scarring and it causes a lot of vascular problems because when you have collagen that gets deposited in the microvascular system, in other words, the really small veins and capillaries in your body, Mm -hmm. um, they get clogged up with the excess collagen. And then you have trouble with circulation. And I think that's why you might've been, it might've been confused with Cushing's because Cushing's has a lot of edema, if I remember right, and um, inflammation. Okay. Um, But it, it, you know, it it really kind of sometimes is a hard thing to diagnose. You have to rule out a bunch of other stuff. The, the symptoms that a general person might notice, um, joint pain, aches, and fatigue, a lot of fatigue. Now, the problem with that is there's a lot of things that can cause that. Uh, puffy fingers is one of the um, sort of, this might be scleroderma symptoms because there aren't too many things that cause your fingers to just start looking like sausages where they get really, really fat and swollen. Um, Hard skin, especially where it gets to the point where you can't bend your fingers or although sometimes it takes a little while, but even just big patches of hard skin on sometimes on people's faces, sometimes on your chest, sometimes on your hands, feet, legs, anywhere, depending on what kind of scleroderma you have. When your skin gets really tight 
and it looks like you had bad plastic surgery, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where the, you know, if you've ever seen one of those people where they just look like somebody took their skin and pulled it back really hard against their cheeks and stuff. Yeah. Um, if, if you, if you have really, really tight skin and it's very thick um, when they do that pinch test, normal skin you can you can pinch it and there's a little leeway Uh there's a little leeway you can grab the skin and um you know there's there may be you know there's muscle underneath it and stuff but you can kind of grab it with hard skin you can't even almost get your fingers in there to to make it come together uh and there are certain places in the body where the rheumatologists are taught to check for what they call a skin score. Mm-hmm. So the hard skin, joint pain, fatigue, acid reflux is um, often one of the signs of it, but, but that's, there's so many reasons why people have acid reflux that I don't think that's one of the hallmarks. Unfortunately, for some people, it's trouble breathing. Yeah. Uh, because there's so many things that can cause trouble breathing. They go, they have to rule out asthma and COPD and various other reasons why you can't breathe. Uh, But some people don't even get noticed until they have trouble breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, What else was it? Skin puffiness. Um, And Renaud's 90% of us have Renaud's. Mm-hmm. Renaud's is um, spasms of the blood vessels, usually in the hands, feet, sometimes nose and ears, where when you're exposed to cold or if you're under a lot of stress, you get these spasms in your small blood vessels and it tends to turn your fingers white. Sometimes you have one finger that's halfway white. And sometimes you have one finger that's all the way white or maybe just the tips mm-hmm. and then they go blue. They don't always go blue, but sometimes they go blue. And then when it's done, when uh, when it when the blood starts to come back, it goes red, and then it eventually gets back to normal. So that's um, and that so you have an intolerance to cold. Yeah, I've seen that. You've got a lot of Renaud's. Now there are people that have Renaud's that don't have scleroderma, but ninety percent of people with scleroderma have Renaud's. Right. Because I, I remember when I was younger, I used to always complain about um, my hands and feet being freezing. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's just that it's really cold out here. Like some people be like, it's not that cold. I'm like, it's freezing out here. But I mean, you know, even as a kid, I got tested. You know, I had a really bad breakout um, and I got tested and none of these things came up. Now I'm just like, like you know how you think about your story? think about one thing like you know have I always had it and I think back to all of the problems that I had I'm like how did they miss this so many times so many of these problems I had they were just completely missed you know with all the tests that I you know got done so it's really crazy because I, I I believe that I had Raynards probably my whole entire life well you can have Raynards for years and years before you actually 
uh, end up with scleroderma too. But not everyone who has Raynaud's is going to end up with scleroderma. So a lot of times the Raynaud's can precede the actual disease by five or 10 years. Okay. So, so are you saying that some people, I mean, okay, so this may seem crazy. So are you saying that some people are not born with scleroderma? Like they think it happens down the line? No, it develops. Yeah. I don't think you're born with it. Well, you're born, uh, they don't know exactly what causes scleroderma. It's one of those really complicated diseases. Um, but generally, I've never heard of anyone being born with it. It's not technically genetic, although there is a slight genetic predisposition. So to, to try to explain that, um, how do you explain that? Hmm. So there are some diseases that you have when you're born, you know, like um, you may have a celiac disease when you're born, mm -hmm. you know, but you may not discover it till you're two or four or it usually has to do with feeding problems or skin problems or an unexplained stomach pain and they do all the normal stuff and then they finally do uh, an endoscopy and do a biopsy and then oh you have celiac some people are born with genetic diseases but this is not a disease that you're normally born with however if you have someone with autoimmune disease in your family you're you are probably more likely to get an autoimmune disease than someone who doesn't have anybody in their family that has an autoimmune disease. For example, in my family, I had an aunt with ulcerative colitis. I have a, a first, a second cousin with MS. I had another second cousin with another autoimmune disease. Um, who else? Um, who knows? I don't yeah. know that they, they didn't really always diagnose autoimmune disease. I mean, you have to really understand that the um, knowledge of the uh, genetics and knowledge of uh, the blood chemistry and all this, this is only in the last 30, 40 years, a lot of it. I mean, we knew some of it, but when, mm -hmm. you, when you think back, science has really um, exploded computers helped a lot with that uh, because you can go through a lot of data very quickly. And so you can compare things, but basically you're not born with scleroderma, you develop it, but you may have a, a genetic predisposition predis to it. And some people have the disposition, but don't get the disease. And some people have the disposition, but do get the disease. And there is a lot of theories about environmental toxins, mm -hmm. um, air pollution, water pollution, soil pollution, the pesticides, the things that are in our food sources, the um, just the amount of stress um, in our daily lives, uh, but basically poor diet. Mm -hmm a dirtier environment perhaps and uh sometimes exposure to things like they have uh noticed that there's been an 
increase in scleroderma in military people who uh, live on or near the base where they have a lot of uh, solvents that they use and jet fuel and various things that can cause, you know, basically pollution to the area. So there's, and they think it may be even uh, exposure to viruses. Epstein-Barr has been uh, thought to be a partial cause. And it's probably more than one thing. It might be the genetic disposition plus the virus plus bad food or whatever. Uh, I know personally, I think some of it may have to do with I don't have the best diet in the world. Um, That may be one of the reasons that I ended up with it. But who knows? So. Um, so how would you answer this question? Mm-hmm. Do, do scleroderma run in like run in families, and can it be something that's passed down? It's not. It's not contagious at all. Mm-hmm. It's not contagious at all. Um, so, in terms of passing it down, you may pass down the the um, tendency to get an autoimmune disease, but not, you're not passing down the actual disease. Okay. So um, what what was the other question? I'm sorry. No, they were just saying like, is there something that runs in the family or is it something that can be passed down? Like if I have scleroderma, what are the chances? Like, is it guaranteed that one of my kids may have it? No, it's not guaranteed. It it isn't guaranteed, but they have, you don't know, because sometimes people do have scleroderma that runs in families. Um, a colleague of mine, her mother had it, and she, uh, until she was, uh, and I'm sure she was screened, but until she got into her 50s, late 50s, she didn't have it, but now she does. Uh-huh. So, um Yes, sometimes people have it run in their family, but then there's other people where um, it's not in the, it, it doesn't get passed down. And that, it doesn't, it's not necessarily genetic. Okay. Uh, but they don't know 100%. Um, and it's also, also the nature versus nurture argument. Mm-hmm. Like you could say that they were. They both lived in the same household for years. What were they? Maybe they were both exposed to a certain type of water, right. germs. It, it, it's very hard. But that. But in terms of is it genetic? No, we have a lot of diseases where they know it's genetic. Like there's some, there's uh, in the cancer world, there are women who who are her too positive. I don't know if you've seen that on the commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, those women tend that breast cancer tends to run in their family. And then oh. there's some genetics that are, I forget which one it is to tell you the truth, but I, I know women who've gotten preventative mastectomies. Oh. They don't have cancer, but they have such a strong genetic predisposition to it that they choose to have the surgery before they get the cancer because yeah so there are some things that are genetic but this this is not known to be genetic okay so i have another question once you get diagnosed with scleroderma how important is it to get to a specialist right away like 
for me, it took me almost three years, two to three years to see a specialist and get on the right medicine. And I feel, I feel like that was, I feel like waiting that long made my situation worse than it was. So once you get diagnosed with scleroderma, how important is it to get to a rheumatologist, a cardiologist? How important is it to get on these medications that, you know, supposed to slow the process down? It's extremely important to see someone for screening. Now you could be like me where I've gone, I've gone to see the rheumatologist and knock on wood. Luckily uh, I'm just kind of, it's slowly progressing, but there's really nothing huge with me. But some people have, it depends on your autoantibody. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have diffuse disease that tends to be the SCL70 or the anti-UMP. I'm speaking off the top of my head, so I'd have to look at something. But there are certain um, UMP polymerase 2 or something. There are certain auto auto antibodies, and then they describe the 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 specific mm -hmm. part of the ANA where what type of auto antibody do you have? Anybody with diffuse disease is going to see a lot of changes in the first three years, and definitely needs to be seen and needs to be screened. I honestly think that it's very important for everyone to go. Because even with, um, you don't know always know how long you've had it. Right. You may have just been sort of a mild case for years and years and years. And um, with pulmonary hypertension, which is one of the um, problems that can damage your heart and your lungs, um, basically... If you catch it early, you can slow down the progression, but it's very difficult to reverse any damage that was done. Right. Same thing with interstitial lung disease. If you get on the drugs right away, you may be able to slow the progression of the disease, but it's very difficult to go backwards. When it gets really bad, the only option is lung transplant at this point. Yeah. Um, so getting on the, not everyone needs to go on drugs, but some people definitely do. And it's, it's very important because it can stop, uh, it can stop some of the disfigurement, some of the trying to get your hand to where, you know, if you could slow down the skin hard, thick hardness, maybe your hands will be able to bend, mm -hmm. you know, maybe your hand won't get, like you said, you can't bend your fingers. Right. How long did that take to happen? Uh, I would say within the two or three years that I didn't. That you have, didn't go. Right. Yeah, and then just got worse as time went on. And, and it's very difficult because a lot of people don't go to the doctor for all kinds of reasons. They can't get the day off from work. They don't have health insurance. Uh, what else? They don't have anybody to babysit. I mean, all kinds of reasons why people put it off. And it, it is hard to get in with a rheumatologist too, because sometimes it takes you five months to get an appointment. 
Right. Depending on how bad you are. And so if you wait till the last minute, you know, then you have to wait another six months and then you could have more and more damage. So definitely it's important. It's also important to be seen at a scleroderma center. You don't have to go to that rheumatologist all the time. What often happens if you live far away from a scleroderma center, you have a local rheumatologist and they consult with the scleroderma specialist. They talk on the phone. They email each other. The, you can ha go to Hopkins and live in West Virginia. Right. You know, or, uh, well, I don't know if you would go to Hopkins if you lived in West Virginia, but it depends. Like, there aren't that many scleroderma specialty <laughs> centers in the country. There are some, and they tend to be clustered around big cities. Uh, so if you live kind of out in the country, in the middle of, of Missouri or something, you know, where are you going to go? You have to go to the website. You can go to the website and find out where a scleroderma center is and then make arrangements to get there. Right. And when you go, you have to have your ducks in a row. You need to bring your records, your testing, copies of your EKGs, any kind of lab work you've had done so that they don't have to repeat things again if, if it's not necessary. So you want to, you know, have your medical records. Yeah, it, it's almost like a a part-time job. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes for some people it's almost like a full-time job because if you think of it, if you have to go to three doctor's appointments in one week and you're as sick as you are, where you have to like get ready the day before. And then and then you drag yourself to the appointment and you drag yourself back home and you're exhausted. I mean Basically, it's, it's almost like a, a full-time job for some people. All they do is sit in doctor's offices. Especially for me, because I have to drive almost like an hour and a half, because I go to University of Maryland, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty far from, from there. Right. So. And that's, you know, so, and that's where, that's where you would go. I mean, you, you find somebody that knows scleroderma, um, I would also suggest if you can afford it, um, that you go to the national conference. Oh, yes. I definitely would love to go. I've, I've heard about it in some of the uh, support groups. So I'm definitely, that's something that I was definitely looking forward to. Yeah. You can learn a lot there, especially if you're new to the disease. It's, um, and it's also a great place to meet people who understand what you're going through. Okay. And so, this so is in Washington, the state of Washington. Belling, Bell, I forget where. It starts Bellingham, maybe? Mm -hmm. Anyway, if we're so, allowed, if COVID will allow us. Yeah. So I have one, one more question, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about how people can get involved with Scleroderma. So this is my last question. Mm-hmm. For people who are just listening, who, you know, don't know anything about scleroderma, how would you describe scleroderma to just someone on the street? Someone who just asks, like, well, what is scleroderma? Scleroderma is a chronic disease of the connective tissue 
it's known to be autoimmune. In other words, your body is attacking itself. And the damage that is caused to the connective tissue, it does damage to various parts of the body, um, including organs, vascular changes, fibrotic changes. Um, Basically, scleroderma means hard skin. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the hallmark symptoms of the disease is someone who has very hard skin. And often those people look like their face is stretched or their skin is really thick. They um, may have trouble moving their um, arms, legs, hands, um, Basically, uh, scleroderma causes damage over time. Now, there's two, there's two types of scleroderma. One is localized scleroderma, and most of what I'm talking about has to do with systemic scleroderma. Localized scleroderma generally usually happens in children, mm -hmm. and it can be very disfiguring. The hard skin often can look like you got slashed with a sword and then the skin kind of grew together in a big, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like there's a, slord, a sword got slashed over your face and then the skin just kind of grew hard around the edges, but you can still see where the sword went in, although right. that's not at all what happened, but it looked <laughs> like you got hit with something. Um, and it could cause muscular damage too. Um, if it, it usually is only the top layers of the skin, but sometimes it can go all the way down to the muscles. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it can cause trouble with things like walking, uh, sometimes even can make speech difficult depending on where it is. They call it un coupe de sabre, which is the cut of the knife or something like that. It looks like you got hit with a, with a sword. Okay. Uh, and then a bunch of skin grew up around it, but you can still see where the sword went in. Or it can be just big patches of kind of like ugly skin. I don't know how to <laughs> say that it looks it looks different in you know depending on if you're caucasian or or black um uh, a lot of times it's very patchy and and thick and um so localized scleroderma is very hard on kids because it can often be very visible yeah it, it might be you know where your clothes won't cover so you're a little embarrassed to, to show anything or it could be on your face, which I think sometimes is one of the worst things. Um, and it's permanent, unfortunately. There's, yeah. there's not a lot of ways to fix it. Yeah. Um, and, but systemic is more threatening to your life. Right. So um, it could cause, uh, it's very they call it heterogeneous. In other words, in one person, it may be mild. In another person, it could be swift and horrible right away. Um, and it can kind of wax and wane. 
sometimes you can be really bad for a couple years and then you might get a few years where you're sort of okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, generally, um, the, any damage that was done is hard to undo. Right. There isn't a whole lot of ways to undo damage. Uh, so the idea, there is no cure for it at this point. So the idea is to prevent any damage and to yeah. control symptoms because it can also be painful. Yeah. When your skin is that tight, it's very painful. Yeah, I know. So how can people become involved? Like, how can we get more people to spread the awareness? And, you know, I know a lot of people were like, oh, how do you think you guys do walks and do you guys take donations, like, as far as, like, cancer and stuff? And I was like, oh, that's a good question. Let me, let me ask. So how can people become involved? Well, certainly, um, we'll take any money we can get. <laughs> um, basically, the the National Scleroderma Foundation um, accepts donations. Also, the Scleroderma Research Foundation accepts donations. I personally am part of the National Scleroderma Foundation. Um, we are basically we have a threefold mission including support to patients and their families, advocacy and awareness, making the world know what scleroderma is because it's hard to get any kind of help mm -hmm. or donations or uh, people interested in doing research for your disease unless they've heard of it, and also for money for research. So there's like a threefold mission, advocacy, awareness, helping patients and their families through things like support groups and information um, and then research. Whereas the Scleroderma Research Foundation basically is mostly just research. That's their, their main efforts are towards research. Um, and I have no problem with wherever you want to give your money for scleroderma, I would say uh, make sure you're giving it to a reputable charity. But I believe both of those charities are reputable. Um, so if you go on our website, it, credit cards, any major credit card, you can send a check to the um, Delaware Valley chapter of this uh, scleroderma foundation. Our I would have to look up the address. I believe it's 385. <laughs> I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry. But it's on our website. Um, and, and what's the website? Come on walks. You know, it's a normal charity walk like anybody else, like the Cancer Society or the Suicide Prevention Society. We have a walk. We usually have, um, we try to cover somewhat of our areas. We have a walk in New Jersey. We have a walk near Philadelphia. And then we have a walk out towards York, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a long drive for some of those people that come all the way into to our walk in the city. But basically, it's a $25 donation. And you can go to the walk and show your support. It's sometimes good if people see us walking with our shirts on. You can get a, um, uh, a, we have these ribbons, these uh, metallic, are they? They're magnets. I'm sorry. They're magnets. 
that says the Scleroderma Foundation. You put a magnet on your car. You can just talk to people. Talk, if, if you meet a doctor that's never heard of scleroderma, if you can just, just get together a three-minute speech on what scleroderma is, and you can uh, you can even go on the website. They have a little three-minute speech somewhere in there on the advocacy section. Um, we call it our elevator speech. It's a three-minute speech about what scleroderma is. You know, basically, it's a chronic autoimmune disease that causes damage to the connective tissue, uh, which can damage the skin and the internal organs. There's no cure um, and we need help with research and we need help to support patients and their families because it's not just hard on the patient. The disease affects everybody. It affects right. kids, it affects your marriage, it affects everything. Um, it's really hard on everybody. It's just like many chronic diseases. It's difficult. Um, but basically, I would say come to a walk, go to a car show. Um, we try to have little events. COVID has sort of uh, curtailed a lot of our uh, a lot of our outreach. We. Uh, to be honest with you, Latasha, we don't do too much in the winter because nobody wants to come out. It's too, right. <laughs> it's too cold. And most of us are hiding in our houses. So we tend to do uh, there. There are occasional places like uh, some of the people out in central Pennsylvania. They usually have a chili cook off. Mm -hmm. And that sounds great, but it's not safe to do with COVID. Right. You know, so I don't know. I don't think they're having their chili cook off this year. Um, some, sometimes we have little get together for drinks, you know, we'll find a, we'll find a restaurant owner who is supportive of us and maybe they can give us, you know, like free appetizers and we get two drinks for a certain amount and we sell the tickets for $30 and that, then the restaurant gets like $10 or whatever for the two drinks and the appetizers. And, and so we may make a $20 profit. So we do, we do whatever we can mm -hmm. um, to try to help. We need more volunteers, even if you don't have money to come, even if you can just uh, offer to help. Sometimes we need people to point the way to the parking lot or um, sign people up at registration, just anything um, any kind of help is welcome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, this is my first podcast. You'll be the first one that I introduce um, interview. So I really appreciate your time. And I'm so excited to get working with you guys. Um, my goal here for this podcast is to spread awareness and also get people's stories out there to help people who may be depressed and who just needs someone who they can relate to so i thank you so much for coming on um and i really do appreciate it you're welcome it was my pleasure and thank you for offering to join us latasha we appreciate it all right thank you so much i'm going to email you also so i okay. just i wanted you to have my information so right wonderful all right thank you so much Thanks. bye-bye
TTR The Till Room will be a bi-weekly podcast on Wednesdays. You will get all the information you need for the next guest and any events that we are having. So if you know someone who has scleroderma or someone who wants to learn about scleroderma, please share our information. You can find us on Instagram at the till underscore room or you can email us at the till room 22 at yahoo.com. This is your host, Latasha M. Stay blessed, stay safe, and stay positive.